This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. Welcome to my interview with one of my favorite people in the whole world, Amanda Tapping. I was lucky enough to watch Amanda develop her skills both as an actor and as a director. First as Sam Carter in all the Stargate television series, and as a director of some of my favorite episodes of Travelers. From The Companion, this is my conversation in sci-fi with the amazing Amanda Tabby. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Brad. <laughs> oh, How are podcasts. you? How oh, are you? Oh, the world of podcasts. It's so, it's so, it's so fun, isn't it, to try to oh, communicate yes. electronically? Uh-huh, when you're sitting in your car in the woods. In the woods, yeah, that's fine. No, I'm sure we have a good three or four minutes of battery on your iPhone, and <laughs> it'll be <laughs> oh, good, good, good. It's uh, it, it's you know, hey, just think when we started Stargate, uh, none of this technology even existed, and looking at look at us just just working with it as though we've been working with it our whole lives. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Yes, I'm quite savvy. <laughs> hey, hey, I had to, I had to put on my glasses to see the code, the pet, the entry code, the passcode. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, I phoned, I had to phone the bank the other day when I was ordering food, and I said, "Oh, the, they've declined my card," and I had put in the wrong postal code. <laughs> uh, I mean, and they were like, "Oh, oh I'm sorry, sir, you're, you're being a bit of an idiot." And and you know, <laughs> say that, but that was that was between the lines. But they wanted to. They wanted. They would. I could tell. I can really, really tell. <laughs> do you know? Do you realize you and I have known each other most of our adult lives? Yep, I do know that, it's, Brad. It, it's true. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, and the time has passed uh, uh, rather, and if not too quickly. Way too quickly. Like doesn't it doesn't feel like Stargate wrapped? When did it wrap? The 10, 13 years ago. Yeah, 10 or 13. Yeah, something like that. Distant past. But I mean, if you and I have continued to work together uh, on yes. Travelers. Yes. Um, uh, where you both acted and directed and ended up directing <laughs> most of season three, or at least more than anybody else. That was my uh, one of my favorite shows to work on, Brad. I loved Travelers. I loved the scripts. I loved the story. I loved the actors. I loved the crew. It was like, what an incredible atmosphere you created. It was so fun. It was, you know, what's funny. I was warned by my uh, by my agent and by a bunch of other people that after Stargate, I wasn't going to be able to recreate uh, that sense of a creative control that we had because you know there's just no way you're going to get that much autonomy. And you know, sure, you, you know, you you had a sense of family on Stargate, but that took years to to forge. No, I don't think it does. I I, I think you just have to make smart choices going in and and uh we got lucky again in, yeah. in in a workplace where where you could you know freely uh go into anybody's office and have a conversation and not stress out and, and get a real answer from a crew that was working their ass off yeah. and i remember going into uh your office your director's office many times carrying office supplies uh that <laughs> i would present to you as a gift he would <clears throat> oh he gave, me, he gave me a funny look in your eye every time, you know, <laughs> you know, a stapler. Do I really is, need a three-hole punch, Brad? I'm doing this I, all on my know. iPad. <laughs> <laughs> but thank maybe, you. 
Maybe I was hearkening back to the beginning of our, our relationship. <laughs> Which began, here, this is the story I don't know if I've ever told you. I have a very powerful memory of sitting in a sea of VHS tapes in front of a television in, in my office or in front of the office that John and I shared and popping in Amanda Tapping uh, and watching your demo and then watching your audition and looking, looking at John and going, finally, because we had, we had watched a lot of audition tapes and you were in Toronto. You, you recorded that in Toronto, right? I did. Yep. And I, you can tell I'm from Toronto because I said Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, I must have watched it a bunch of times because I remember what was on that audition tape. I remember there was a scene from X-Files. There was a commercial for something like <laughs> toothpaste or something. <laughs> and that, that Advil, I didn't meet maybe. you. Advil, maybe, maybe. And the newsroom, yeah. I think, was on there. That's right. That's right. Ken Finkelman show. Yeah. Yeah. The Canadian newsroom, not the later American newsroom. Right. The, the Canadian newsroom was very funny, actually. But then I didn't meet you uh, in, in person, I don't think, until uh, the L.A. test. Correct. Correct. And it was you and two other potential yeah. Samantha Carters. Right. It was right. me and two other potential Samantha Carters. And then we were all there, all the Teal'ks, all the Daniels, all the General Hammonds, all the Carters in that room at MGM. But there was then, just a few of each. Yeah, three of each. Uh, I think only two tilks maybe. But, um, and then a bunch of the people were asked to leave. They said, if we, if we call your name, you can go. Thank you for your time. So panicked. Please don't call my name. Please don't call my name. And then there was a break before the second round. And that's when you and Jonathan came out and talked to me. I remember that very well. I do too, because it and changed I, my I, life. I remember you were, well, you were nervous until you were bantering with Rick. And when you were, for some reason, your inner performer came out and your inner strength and he was not, he did not intimidate you. You, and this was between, this was like just when you were yapping on the stage and you yeah. were making him laugh and you were being very funny. And I think I said something to the effect, bring that energy into your, yes. into your audition. That's exactly what you said. You said, I'm a big fan of yours, which was really a nice thing to say. Uh, I loved your demo. I think you're really, uh, and then you said, what you're doing with Rick in between the scenes, bring more of that into the character. Right, right, right. And, and you continue to do it actually all through the show. I mean, you yeah. are very, you're one of the few people who, who broke into his, um, there's a little, there's always a little bit of distance between Rick and, and the rest of the world. And, and you were able to access him uh, on a, quite a personal level, I think. Yeah, and we're still buddies. Yeah, I know, I know. And maybe it's because I was, you know, the executive producer, but it, it was, it took me, I think, a couple of years to get anywhere near what I could call a relationship with Rick. It was, because uh, every time I, every time I stepped forward, it was not just conversation with Rick, it was conversation with Rick and Michael Greenberg. Right. It was very, very protective of Rick, I think, because of previous yeah, experiences on other shows. And uh, again, sometimes you can have a go on a show and, and it's, a, it's a bit of a nightmare. And I, and I guess you've experienced it over the years. I mean, you must have. Yep. I'm not, you're not going to name any. No, not but I have, uh, <laughs> I have uh, more so as a director than an, an actor had like pretty intense experiences on shows with showrunners who. Um, now, uh, this, some of that, 
I know from knowing, I mean, you and I are friends and we, we talk. Yeah. And so I know, I know even the answer of some of these questions, but I, I, I think that it's funny that even on a show like Travelers, uh, which I was uh, hoped was a more modern set that you, that you felt a, a sense of, uh, d- there was a bit of a difficulty just because you were a woman getting the crew. I mean, the crew didn't always listen to you the way they should, or, or, or they might have if you were a man. And you, again, almost always have to win them over. Even yep. now, you have to win over your crew and say, look, I'm a competent person, male or female, just deal with that. And I think, and I, uh, I was, I was a little bit surprised by that, but, but again, obviously you won them over. You had, you, you won the entire crew over. Uh, I have to give uh, Joe, Joe and Paul, Joe Malazzi and uh, Paul Mully uh, credit for uh, my first call to you on Travelers, uh, which who they said, quote, run, don't walk and hire Amanda as a director. <laughs> and I drove. So, cause that made more sense. Uh, far Because <laughs> yeah, running. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that, I mean, that's, that's, and that, you know, that was seven years ago. So, or yeah. six years ago. So obviously you're on fire. Martin Garrow wanted you to do a blind spot. And I did. And you did. I did. And yep. uh, that was fun. Yeah. Or was that challenging? Yeah. Uh, it, there were challenges to that show, which I, you know, there was one particular challenge. Uh, and then there was a challenge of Jamie Alexander had hurt her knee, so she couldn't walk. So we had to have a photo double and a stunt double and then just shoot her in close-ups and just change the way I shot. But it was also the first time I'd ever shot in New York. I didn't know a single person. Martin wasn't there. It was incredible. I had a great time. I had to win the DP over. That was the big one. Good old New Yorker. Dad was a famous DP. He's a DP. Great guy. But for the first probably three or four days, I had to tap dance for him and show him how much I knew. And then we became great friends. Yeah. Dad was a DP. I, I never really thought his of father was a, his father was a famous DP and then he became a DP. And so he, uh, yeah, he, he was tough New Yorker, but I ended up just loving working with him. We had a great time, but yeah, I find that all the time. I have to prove myself. I, I had, of course, naturally that's what happens to me when I, when I, uh, between me and a network or me in a studio yes. as a showrunner, I, I have to prove to them that I know what I'm doing. And let them know uh, that they don't have to look over my shoulder over every decision, <clears throat> or forgive me for my the ones that they I make that they disagreed with, <laughs> you know, because that, that happens, right? Especially as a director. Yeah, I know we could do it that way. I want to do it this way, and yeah. the, and the DP will be well. I don't know about that. That's not how we did, you know. Uh, whereas, uh, <laughs> and that's why we that's why we hired you, right? We we had a good group of uh, directors on Stargate too, didn't we? Yeah, we ended up with a core. That uh, some of which, many of which, I brought over to Travelers. I love Andy. I just—he's such Andy's a. Andy's awesome. And and the thing about Andy and you and Will is that you're always growing as a director. Yeah. You know, it's not oh, this is who I am. I've met, I've figured out my style. This is what I do. It's like I want to try this or or this is this new thing. And and so I see the growth. And I I have said this a hundred thousand times, but what I enjoy most about making television and being a showrunner with such a long career is getting choked up is watching people grow is watching people go from, you know, uh, Advil commercial (laughs) 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 to, to wanting to take Advil because your writer has written you a show that takes place in the sky. Like I did with travelers. You did do that. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I love a challenge. And, and I now that I'm more technically savvy than I was when I first started, obviously, I mean, I think I've done now over 60 episodes, 70, I don't know, there's a confidence that I have with technology now. So now I'm like, hey, I heard about this new thing. Can we try it? And that's exciting and scary. Uh, and travelers, when you wrote that, when you wrote that skydiving travelers, I was like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, okay. I, I had so, a plan about how we could approach it. It wasn't entirely. See, we just we just shoot in the sky. Anyway, um... <laughs> it was it was amazing. I had so much it fun. Worked on out. That. There was one incredibly stressful time, and that was when we came down to one remaining day. Yeah, where we where we could shoot in, in the, the sky. That was super stressful. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was killer. It was absolutely killer. And you phoned me every you night. You can't jump in the pouring rain. I did phone you every night. So we were shooting all the other part of the episode out at Minnecata Park, like way out. And yeah. a bunch of the crew ended up staying like in the park in trailers or at motels, like right outside the park. Right. It's a big provincial park. And I would call Brad every night and be like, oh, okay, today this was great. This happened. And, then, and oh, today we got poured on. And But I was like, I was so eager to make you to please you, but also to give you the confidence that everything was okay. That I was like, you know, out with the crew and I, you know. One of the things that demonstrate that make that gives me comfort is when a director says, no, there's no way I can do this in one day. Or, or, or you know, if we, if the D, if the first AD schedules something or, and it's because you know how you want to shoot it. Right. And it's because you, you know, I know I need to dedicate this much time to this very important scene to serve the story. Right. And, and I can, and we can't just blow off this part. Or to just jam it in. It's not right. And when I hear that from a director, I, I get confidence instantly. Because many, many times, even pre-Stargate on the Outer Limits, you know, the director would go, oh, I'll give it a try. <laughs> and I didn't know any better at the time. And, and you know, you would find yourself cutting, cutting from the script on the day, yeah. which is not what you want to be doing. So when you're, uh, you've always been popular as an actor, but now you're getting now you're getting sought after as a director. What are the kinds of things you look for? This is actually a fan question from Twitter. Oh, what <clears throat> in terms of projects? Yeah, like what is it? What what are you? What's pulling you in? It's, it starts with the story. If I'm compelled by the story and the characters, if I can see like a real cool challenge with the characters. But that's like you know I I got a logline for a show recently, and I was like ugh. And then I read the scripts and they were phenomenal. And I went, whoa, okay, cool. This is a great script. This is a really good story. This is complicated. This is interesting. It's something new. So yeah, I mean, that's what I look for. And I look for also like the relationship. Who's in it? Who are the people that are running it? Is it going to be fun? Yeah, th that, that to me, that's got to be. I mean, it's just, uh, it was Rick's, Rick and Michael's term, uh, LTS, which means life's too short. Yeah. You know, sure, we get paid nice money, but zoosh. By the way, never trust log lines. Log lines are no. log lines are uh, they're they're impossible to write. They're my the, the log line and description of travelers actually hurt it. I think uh, because it it was uh, I mean people thought it was set in the future and it wasn't right. It's just because of the bad log. My favorite log line in all the in the whole world is uh, I think I can remember it. It's a log line for the Wizard of Oz, and it's a young woman is transported to a different world kills the first person she sees and then teams up with three strangers to kill again <laughs> that's awesome that's great and my my uh my other favorite log line was one that showtime wrote for solitudes do you remember solitudes yep uh you and rick in an ice cave yep uh 
that was a great episode. Uh, I love Martin that. Wood, it was fun. Uh, Martin Wood directed. That was his first. I think it was his second. I said it was his first too, oh. but he told he since told me it was his second. Oh, but uh, but we we refrigerated the stage as one does. Uh, as we did again for Continuum. Yeah. Uh, who saw we do? It's just like, eh, that's refrigerated state. Uh, Ro- Robert Cooper calls me a, 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 a weather-driven writer. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But uh, my, the, the, the logline for uh, Continuum, I mean, uh, for Solitudes was uh, Carter and O'Neill are trapped in Antarctica, which if you remember the episode is like pretty much the same thing as saying uh, Kevin Spacey stars as Kaiser Soze in The Usual Suspects. <laughs> Which is, which is what I phoned Showtime to complain about it, which I, and they went, oh, well, I guess it's too late. Of course, that's back in the day when TV Guide was this thing you got at the, at, when you got your groceries, you got this piece of paper with the, when the, when the shows were on that week. With the listings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got on the cover of TV Guide. We do, it's in my office. And yeah, that, God, we, we, got, we got a little big, but we never got too big. We never got big enough that, that it became a situation where we couldn't do what we wanted. True. Because if you get really big, they, they you get people want to control you even more yeah. because because they're monetizing you. So of course they do. That's you know you can ask for all the creative freedom you want, but the fact is if 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 they can make a decision that makes the show make them more money, then that's what they want you to do. Yeah. For Network sure. television especially. Although I've never done it. I just, I just hear these things. <laughs> Rumor has it. I've only ever done cable. Yeah, that's true. It's weird. Cable and streamers. But you know, now there's not even, now there's not even really, you know, network is streaming now too. So it's such a weird shift. There are network shows for sure. But then there's also networks who have deals with streaming companies and it's a strange new world. I said this like 10 years ago. I said, it's all, and then they're going to, they're going to find a way to package all the streamers in this thing called cable. <laughs> and uh, we'll all end up. And you'll buy one package. Back where we started. Exactly. Except our monthly bill will be $1,200. Exactly. It might already be that. Unbelievable. And we all have cell phones and we all have iPads and we all have computers and we all interact with them four to six hours a day, according to my iPad at the end of the week. Wow. Yeah. Well, if you're on Zoom meetings. Well, I, re- I, I read every script. Zoom, Zoom every Zoom meeting, every uh, yep. every script I read. Uh, every, I mean, I, I read novels on my iPad. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. Do you remember, like, I remember when Stargate started, I got, uh, an, I was going to say email, but that's not true. I got a letter, <laughs> regular post. A pony came by. And dropped off a bag of lettuce. And uh, one of the letters was from a young man in Poland who had bought my domain name. That's how new the intraweb was. And ended up running a website. And he, but he bought amandatapping.com and said, I hope you don't mind, but I bought your domain name. And I'm like, my what, what? <laughs> Reading this letter going, what is this? What is he talking? I don't, ah. Bradwright.com is, is still for sale and uh, nobody cares. But um, no, that's not even a thing anymore. People having their own web pages is less of a thing yeah. than, than it used to be. And it, it's like, like travelers, we thought, I said, I th- I thought right away, I said, Carrie, we should get like a, a page. And she went, yeah, we can. But it's not like people go to a dedicated page anymore because all the information about everything is everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things I love about The Companion, which is uh, the podcast you're on right now, is it's a lot of different things. It's like a magazine, though. You know, I mean, you can go and you can read an article that's interesting. And, and there's a great one about your character 
uh, uh, with your father. That's that was on. Oh right. yeah, really yeah, James wrote that. It's beautiful. It's moving. It's very moving. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And I've written a couple, and they're fun. I'll, I'll probably write another one because it's fun. I just need a I need a subject matter I can dig my teeth into. But then they, you know, then you can do an AMA, and then there's a podcast, and they have these quizzes. It's 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 fun. I really like it. Yeah. You know, it's it's it takes up you know 20 minutes of the four hours I apparently spend every day on the internet. <laughs> Shout out to the companion. Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah, absolutely. So are you pursuing acting? You, I know you'll act again. Uh, I'm sure I will act again, but I'm not pursuing it. I'm pursuing more directing. That's, you know, I just signed with Gersh in LA and uh, that's what I'm known for now, which is, I think, quite funny. Well, that's great. Because for the longest time I was that actress who directed. Now I'm a director who sometimes acts. I mean, there's a bit, of, there's still people who see me one way, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think I even told you I'm leaving next week for Atlanta for six oh, weeks. Oh, you, you, you are going to Atlanta. You said you were going. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Good. For six weeks. So that's, you know, I mean, and that was my agents, but also word of mouth. Like this, this showrunner called a bunch of people about me. And then the coolest thing happened. One of the people who works on the show in Atlanta knows people in the film industry in Vancouver and phoned his friend. And his friend had just worked on Motherland, which was the show I was producing director. So again, reputation. You never know when somebody's going to talk about you. And he talked nice. Well, of course. <clears throat> of course. Otherwise, they would be calling you to Atlanta to, for no reason. That would be a bad, bad thing. <laughs> Come here and we'll beat you up. You're, you're, uh, you're executive producer, producing director. So you, there's director showrunners now. Is that in your future? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I guess you're essentially teaming up with a writer at that point yeah brad that's what i'm waiting to do. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not hinting i don't know what you're talking about what i'm not hinting either what what's next uh, for what? us brad <laughs> well i have a couple of projects uh in the uh in the air one of them is stargate obviously fans are interested in hearing about that and and it's still it's still in the same place it was last time we talked it's uh and, it, and i think it began with covid changing everything up and putting the brakes on a ton of development. And I think it has migrated to uh, the changes that may be happening at MGM in terms of it being purchased by a much larger company. Yeah. And I mean, I've been working with, with MGM since 1994. So I've seen the, this happen. I've seen the signs of they're about to be sold. They stopped printing stationery. There's that, that was a clue at one point. Uh, and I'm not kidding. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that was actually more sci-fi. We just before sci-fi rebranded and became sci-fi <laughs> just before they switched over from sci-fi to sci-fi, they stopped sending out their old stationery with, with their old logo on it in memos. And I was like, what the hell are they, are they selling the company? No, they're just rebranding. Rebranding. Yeah. In fact, they were spending money. They were spending money in droves because that's that's not cheap to do, changing everything. To rebrand, I remember because I remember when they rebranded, they wanted us to all you know talk about how great it was. You know what? It brought the name of Stargate into the into the world because people would say, and Sci-Fi who produced who air Stargate if you want and Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe, of which you were in all three. I was. I don't know how many people have that can make that claim. I guess Michael Shanks. I can't think of anybody else. I know Chris did Atlantis, but I don't know if he did Universe. Chris did. No, he didn't do Universe. He did one Atlantis. And Rick. Rick did them all. That's right. Rick did them all. Did Michael do Universe? Yes. He, he, no. The fans would know. Uh, he was in an episode called The Pegasus Project, was an SG-1 episode that I wrote 
uh, while we were shooting both series at the same time. And it was a crossover episode. And I had a nervous breakdown because I, I was, it was set in Atlantis and it was a SG-1 show. So I didn't know where I was. <laughs> I'm so confused. It was, it was, I'm so confused. It was, and I, that's when I said, famously said, what's Taylor doing in this episode? And, and, and Paul gently touched my shoulder and said, this is a Stargate SG-1 episode, bro. <laughs> set in Atlantis. No, it right. Yes, I wrote it. Yes, that's I knew that. Correct. I knew that. <laughs> Just check oh it. God. Yeah, I guess I could have put her in. Oh, and uh, Hewlett, David Hewlett. Yeah. Yes, Steven's done all three. Yeah, Team Universe? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I feel like he must Big have been. Family. Yes, he was. He was. He was in one episode. <laughs> Huzzah. Huzzah. Don't you love that show? I love that show. The Great. That's a great yeah. show. See, so that's, that's a show all you, I said. you would direct. I would love to direct The Great. Yeah. Just putting it out there. Anyone who knows anyone. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I said that on the last episode of Motherland. Every time something was good, I'd Huzzah! People became our rallying cry. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's really fun. I really love that show. It's 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 COVID has has made me watch more television, I think, than I ever have before. Because mm -hmm. people used to say to me, um, "What's your favorite show?" And I go, "I I spend all my time making a show. I can't yeah, I don't have time to watch, watch it." it. <laughs> but uh, you know, COVID makes you uh, watch more TV. Yeah. Have you ever worked in Atlanta? I've been to Atlanta. I've never worked in Atlanta. No, but documentaries. Okay. Can I recommend a few? Yeah. It's totally off topic. Uh, Finding Vivian Meyer. I think I've seen it's it. About this. Have you about the street photographer? Yes. And she, oh my gosh. Okay. I can't recommend it enough. I loved it. Yes. Yes. Uh, Crip camp, which I think was up for an Oscar this year, but uh, about a camp for disabled teenagers and then what they become after that, which is phenomenal. And uh, Biggest Little Farm. Those are my top three right now. Biggest Little Farm, is that the one where they- Biodiversity. Where they, uh, everything is sustainable? And biodiverse, so they create- It's like an environment that basically is self-sustaining within its borders. Yeah-ish, I mean, they still, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it, it's how it all- They have to bring together. stuff in, like yeah. seeds. Yeah, no, no, I, I saw that. I saw that like, oh, a while ago, brilliant. I love it. And the octopus teacher. My octopus teacher. The octopus teacher. teacher was my octopus teacher. That was good too. Yeah. I, I there's a lot of camera angles, so he wasn't. He was uh, in there with that octopus with a lot of people, but yeah. uh, it was pretty cool. I I just you know you're right. A lot of television, and um, and my Canucks didn't make the playoffs, so I can't watch that. So sorry. I know you don't care. I care. <laughs> I could care more. Let's just say that. Just I say could. That. Yes, I, it's you could. I'm sure for you me could. to care more. <laughs> I guess it is. I guess it is. As you were, when you were acting yeah. um, on Stargate and, and you, and, and I, I feel like I have to apologize to you constantly. And I would write a scene that, or someone, Rob or Paul or Joe, that gave you, oh, I don't know, uh, 16 hours of memorization work <laughs> with stuff that you, I know that you had to go and, 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 and look up some of the stuff so that yeah. it could make sense to you. Yeah. Are you still mad at me? <laughs> no. I loved it. I mean, I kind of, it, it became like this thing where I became super excited about the knowledge and, and the fact that I really understood what I was saying. Like I broke it down into layman's terms so I could explain it to like Alan, for example, and then go, okay, now like I've broken it all down. Now I can actually say the big, big words, but I don't know if you remember this story. And I've told this story at conventions before there was some equation. I can't even remember what the episode was but it was in the script and it was basically saying if 
all of this happens, this many people will die. And it was like- And you found the mistake. And I found the mistake and I was like X over Y to the power of two to this, to this, to blah, 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 times pi, blah, 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 blah. It was like super complicated. And for some reason I zoned in on it and I found the mistake. I came running up to your office. I was so excited. And I said, uh, Brad, this is wrong. And this needs to be this and because, and I was so proud of myself and you very calmly went, okay, we'll change it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I left and I was like, oh, so yeah, I ended up waylaying Jack Osterbeck, our craft service guy. I'm going, Jack, check this out. Yeah, there, I didn't, I don't do math. Math is not something that I, and I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't remember what it was supposed to be, but I'm sure there's a lot of that. <clears throat> it just, it has to be, you know, in the ballpark, right? You just, yeah. I mean, like, I remember a matter of time when we were talking about a, dialing a black hole and, and uh, you know, I wrote this whole essay on the companion about science and it being real. But for me, it just needs to have a context. It just needs to have a sense of, it, it has to, it has to look like it could be real. It has to, so, so for example, there's time dilation uh, through, that's, that's being channeled through the, the Stargate. With that same level of time dilation, everybody in the SGC would already be crushed. So I gave you a line that it's disproportional possibly because of some lensing effect created by the Stargate. Now, there's no science behind that. I just made that up. But you, <laughs> you sound aghast. But you, you, um, you delivered it like it was so real. And that's, that's the key. <laughs> that's the absolute key. When, so I when, and that's what you, it was real. Uh, well, but that's also the, the 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 key to being able to act act stuff like that. Brent Spiner, <laughs> uh, who did a did an Outer Limits, and I and we were just standing around, and and uh, I, I was a little starstruck to be honest. Uh, and uh, and I asked him the same question. I said, uh, "Oh my God, I apologize for all the techno babble." And he said, "Well, I'm used to it." <laughs> I went, "Yeah, of course you yeah. are." And he said. And, and and I and I every time I work with a, a new cast member, and I think I probably passed this on to you years ago. You when you do technobabble, when you do a long, long list of, of sciencey talk that may or may yep. not be rooted in anything, you have to say it out loud when you're memorizing it. Because if you don't, when you say it out loud for the very first time, its ridiculousness becomes apparent and it takes you out of it and you forget. It's true. That was that was his explanation. It's very true. You have to say it out loud. And you have to make it find a rhythm and you have to, yeah. And it has to sound not ridiculous. That's the, that's the key, isn't <laughs> not it? Not that, that any of your writing was ridiculous, right? <laughs> of course it is. Hey. Of course oh, it is. God. I remember Jonathan used to come into my office and say, I need a, I need like a, a term for this thing that with the thing and the going out of phase and the stuff. And, and, and I remember, how about temporal cascade failure? And he went, yeah, okay. <laughs> Just like, sure, that, that went in. <laughs> That's and not I, a real I, thing? No. <laughs> you know, because you're from another dimension. I'm so disillusioned right now. Oh, dear. I'm so, show me any math at all. Any math. <laughs> and, I, and I'm disillusioned. Any actual math. If you, you know the division with the line, I start playing hanging. Yeah. I don't know how to. Oh my God, that's funny. Well, that's why that's why it's so funny that I came to you so proud of my mathematical prowess and you just went, so change it. Now that makes sense. <laughs> I thought for the longest time that I was just 
bothering you like that i was just being obnoxious or something and you're like oh god here she comes again with some something jim our dp uh uh came to me once with something like that during the episode and said your 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 uh your time your time travel thing is all wrong it's backwards it's you you've done the you've done it wrong and amanda i panicked because we were already shooting yeah and i went now you're telling me and i think about it and we're talking it through and i went no, 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 I'm right. You're wrong. And he went, oh yeah, I guess I am. And walked away. Oh my God. <laughs> it killed me. It just floored me. Like, You're not allowed to come in here until you think through something Ever like again. that. But I don't just, you love I, that the crew cared that much? Yes. Like, isn't that awesome? It is awesome. The, the flip side of it is that everyone cared so much. Yeah. And and, and in, a, in a concept meeting or, or in a Bill Mizell, first AD. And, and then they talk about some shit that I don't understand, but apparently some of these people do. And uh... <laughs> that sounds totally like Billy. <laughs> and then there's this really fascinating, and then if he, he, would, he would get into it and he would talk about it and he'd say, no, I'm the, this is really an engaging moment between these two characters. And I quite, <laughs> I miss that. I, I miss. I've never, I, I, we laughed so much on that show. Yeah. We just laughed our freaking heads off. I would say arguably every day we laughed every single day. Of course. And I'd be laughing in the writer's room and I'd go to set and you'd be laughing and I'd feel like I missed out on the joke and you guys would come by the writer's room and we'd stop laughing and you would feel like you'd missed out on the joke. <laughs> but it was really as long as we were all laughing, it mattered. Yeah. And uh, yeah, families were born on that show. Families oh upon gosh. families. Yeah, all the Stargate babies. Yeah. Ben Browder. I spoke with Ben. Aww. Yeah, he, we, uh, he was great. He was wonderful. He has zero social media presence. So, so he was kind of nervous about even doing this. But he was great and we had a great chat. And he told me a story about Continuum, uh, about you and, uh, and he on the Arctic ice making snow angels. Yeah, it was so fun. It was like this. It's so funny because we just texted each other like, back in March because memories come up on your iPhotos and it was memories from the right. Arctic. So we were texting each other Arctic photos. It was this helicopter shot. I'm sure he described it to you already. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, but it was this magical moment for Ben and I where we're walking out in the wide open. And it's like, it's like an art gallery because the way the ice will suddenly shift up and then melt and then come back up and you have sculptures all around you. And we didn't have anyone near us because of the big helicopter shot so there was this real genuine concern about polar bears yes because we didn't have anyone close enough with a trank gun but they had one up in the helicopter anyway uh people watching uh but yeah the helicopter passed a couple of times in the last one we just kind of looked at each other and down we went and it was so fun you mean in that little uh in that little movie we made featuring a nuclear submarine and uh and a uh, helicopter at the top of the world yeah correct that, was, that, was that little one I was shocked that Michael and Chris did not want to go to the Arctic. I was like, you guys are crazy. This is, I, this is so cool. Michael was doing 24. Michael couldn't go. He was doing 24. Was he? I mean, oh, okay. he, he? He possibly didn't want to go anyway. He didn't. But uh, he, he was doing 24. And then Chris is just deadly afraid of bears. 
And as soon as we heard at the big briefing about all the ways you could die up in the Arctic, and then they talked about polar bears, he literally in the middle of that meeting in the boardroom, slapped his hands on the table and went, I'm out. Uh-uh. Nope. I'm out. Nope. Well, he also knew there was no bloody way I was going to be able to get his character into that scene. So, and I remember saying to Michael, so I figured out a way to get you to the Arctic without actually going to the Arctic, but I have to cut your character's leg off. And he went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> These are the logistics of a writer, right? And people think you just make up your story. No, no. So-and-so uh, uh, can't, can't go to the Arctic. Uh, so he can't be in that scene. He can only do the interiors. He can't do the exteriors. So we ha we'll have to create, but that was cool because it allowed us to do a night Arctic scene, which would have been impossible to do in reality. Yeah. Um, Cause it was, it would have been too cold, I guess, or, or, or impossible to light. And, um, and we needed to do a giant visual effect of the ship sinking behind him anyway. So it had to be on a soundstage, which we refrigerated. So it worked, it worked just fine. And then, and then we just did the old, the, the old green sock thing Yeah, uh, that, I when mean, he uh, lost his leg. That movie, that experience up in the Arctic is like in my top three of experiences while filming. That was unbelievable. What an opportunity we had and what a, and to go into a nuclear submarine and the, I don't know if I can say his name. Can I say the guy's name? Who the, who's the captain of the submarine? Sure, we can. Well, I don't, I don't know. His name was Captain Buenacorsi, and he was very tough uh, and ran. He was in the movie. He, he, he's in the movie. And, but what a nice guy. And he took a shining to me. I think Bruce, he probably hadn't seen a woman in months. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And he was anyway, the captain. So he. So I got to sit at the table, uh, at, the, at the captain's table on the submarine for a meal in the seat of honor, which is where, like, if the president came to visit, the president would sit. And Rick was like, shouldn't I? Ugh. <laughs> so I got I got the seat of honor and I actually got to take a real shower on that submarine where it's like you have hot water for you know maybe 20 seconds but uh he was great he took showers. us on a tour the Hollywood showers yeah he took us on a tour of the ship only half of it couldn't see the back half and we're walking through the submarine and we get to the missiles and he slaps his hand down on these tomahawk missiles and goes you know what this is this is a Tomahawk missile. This can take out a small country. And I was like, stop touching it. Oh my God. It was so bizarre. Yeah. What an experience. Yeah, though, like, on the Arctic, living on an ice floe. And then we go into a submarine, a nuclear submarine. And then we come out of it. And then we're back in the Arctic and we're helicoptering over. Oh, it's crazy. So fun. It's That's insane. the reason you couldn't go to the back because that's through the nuclear uh, yeah. section. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's uh it's, it's fun. And then we got to sit in F15s for an afternoon and and uh, pretend we were flying those. That was really fun. Now Ben Ben and I went on and on about the F15s cuz you know his son is an F22 I know, driver. I know. I know. He sent me it's pictures so and I was he's like so... I can't believe that. And he's like I can't believe he's doing what I used to pretend to do, but he's doing it for real. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. It is awesome. Yeah. And he uh he's so proud. Yeah. He's so proud. And I would be too, uh, you know, because that's that that's the best pilots. Like they, they they don't like you have to be the best to fly that. So, and the investment per pilot is like in the millions. Oh wow! For the country uh, to to get that level of well that level of training that, that level, level of, training, of, yeah. of time on on a jet that costs that much money yeah it's it's in the millions. 
No, but that was so much fun. And then he came and he did, uh, we did universe. You were commander of the general George Hammond yes. at that point. Yeah. I cried when I saw the patch on my flight suit. Yeah. I cried when I saw that. It was really sweet. You know, you know, Mark Davidson was a good buddy of mine. Yeah. We, uh, he was our set decorator the entire run of, uh, of Stargate and uh, built a ton of the stuff inside Destiny and like all the, what we call the Apple Core. And he's just an artist and he just builds all this stuff. But we were in a, during our hiatus, I wanted to drive across Canada to help clear my mind. And, and uh, he joined me. We drove, he drove across the country with me uh, just to be a co-pilot. And we were in Saskatchewan when we heard Don passed. Oh. And, and with that night, we just, we just sat there. We didn't even chat. It was just, oh my God, Don. It was so sad. Yeah, we went. We went to the uh, went to the Sunshine Coast for his funeral, and uh, all of us there just sitting on the floor. Terrell and Michael and Chris and I just, yeah, <clears throat> very emotional. Obviously, that was ten years ago. Obviously, you're General Carter now. Yeah, you'd have to be. Yeah, and you'd be running the whole. You'd be running the whole shebang. I would think so, Brad. <laughs> it makes sense it stands to reason <laughs> yeah whether or not whether or not i get to make my uh my stargate series uh, in my mind general carter is running the sgc no not just the sgc the world the whole shebang the, the not the world oh, come on whatever they call it homework <laughs> i guess i guess home world command is separate from sgc i'm happy with but yeah you would be in charge of the whole thing yeah i'm happy with that okay yeah, but it's way cooler now. Stargate Command is way cooler, way more expensive. There's For restaurants. Sure. <laughs> the blinky lights Jell-O. are brighter. They only serve Jello. They only serve exactly. blue Jello. Blink. <laughs> that it was blue. That was the color. Yeah. That you only ate. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could never. That was a quiz on the uh, companion. Oh my god! You, I, oh, I, had boxes I, I think boxes I got it right. I'm, yeah. I, I was that doubtful. Oh god, those are the days. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think? Um, do you, do you think uh, after uh, we're, we're fantasizing about post Stargate, O'Neill retired? Do you think uh, Carter and O'Neill uh, uh, hooked up? Oh man, I hope that after least, at least for a one night stand. I hope so much sexual tension between <laughs> those two. Something had to give. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I think they. Yeah. My God. That, yeah, a, I think I think they did too. <clears throat> whether it lasted, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, for sure. There was so much sexual tension between the two of them that uh, one would hope. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give a line for my script that uh, that I don't. It doesn't tell anything away, give anything away, but it, it's it's uh, it speaks to that, and it speaks to uh, it speaks to O'Neill's character a great deal, and and he says, "I still have your toothbrush. I've only used it once." <laughs> Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, that's O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Good. So I have a toothbrush there. That seems a little more than well one night stand. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Although I think Carter probably takes a toothbrush, what, what toothbrush with her wherever she goes on other sandy planets, for example. <laughs> it's true. And so that was a, that was an ad lib of yours. Yeah. <laughs> Something. I think that was an ad lib. I don't think I wrote that. I don't think anybody wrote that. I think. Can't stand those sandy planets. I think that was an outlet. <laughs> it was so much fun. We had the opportunity to do a few of those, which was really nice. That's, you know, what a, well, it launched my career, that show, but it also gave me a sense of what television could be in terms of family and how to make it well and how to make it with joy. 
and you sort of anything that isn't that that I go to, I'm like, oh, wow, are they ever missing out? Yeah. You know, or you try to bring that same sensibility and sense of family. And, you know, for all the growing pains that we went to and as dysfunctional as our family was at times, um, we were a family. Yeah, but that's what family is. Family is never always happy. And, you know, you, it's and that's what makes it family. Yeah. I only got into it once with Rick and I, I got pretty red in the face, uh, angry. And, and after that, we were fine. It was, I think it was season two. I oh, can't wow. remember when it was, but it was early. It was early. He, he, he was, I, I, I said, stop changing things for the sake of changing them. Please consider the scripted material as an option. <laughs> <laughs> Something to that effect. That's a great line. Yeah, I say it all the time. One of my favorite first AD lines is, uh, Brad's here, go back to the typewritten pages, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? That was on Neon Rider. That's how long oh, ago that my was. Oh, God. That's 30 years ago yeah. when they were almost probably typewritten and certainly paper. Now everybody walks around with iPads and who knows, you have no idea if they're memorizing their lines or they're watching YouTube. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, uh, it was a family and an ongoing family, I think. Mm -hmm. it, would be, uh, it would be fun to do, I don't know, a reunion. I think you hinted on that in your AMA. It would be oh, kind of fun God, to get would, the band back together. It would be super fun just to like all be in one place, even if it was just to reminisce. But I think it would be really fun to. Yeah, whether whether we make a show or not. <laughs> be fun to make a show, but. It would it would add that extra layer, you know, that, that, uh, that it wouldn't be just making a, uh, it would, it would be more than a few hours too. It would be a, a definite commitment of time. But there isn't a soul among that cast that I wouldn't want to bring back. And, and that, that's how you know it's a family. That's how you know you don't have a, you know, that's how you know it was a positive experience. Yeah. You know, I, the, the, the notion that I can't wait to work with them again, uh, or and the, the, the fact that I did get to work with you again. And I remember it was, it was so funny because uh, you, when you, after you directed your first episode and we, and we were booking you to do season two, I said, do you, do you mind, would you mind acting in it as well? <laughs> it was like, not, I'd like to offer this part, but I know how time consuming and how difficult directing is. And, but I, you know, would you please be in my show as well as directing it felt like, you know, I had to ask it that way. And you said, absolutely. Uh, and then of course, when you were directing yourself it, it, in season three, it was a bit of a nightmare. When I but... died. <laughs> I'm lying on the it was floor. hilarious kind of pool of blood and you and you God. you gave me a gift too and and uh and I have to set it up a little bit and that is that in virtually every series I've ever written I've hidden a line I read in National Lampoon in 1976 uh which it was a non sequitur punchline and and the line is corn and cotton are indigenous to North America <laughs> and so <laughs> And I had told you that story, over, you know, at lunch or whatever. <laughs> and and Paro's dying. Paro's like blind and she can't, and her, she's been shot and she's leaning back in her wheelchair. And she goes, Gordon Cottoner, indigenous to North America. And her head slumps over. <laughs> and, and I, and then I, I was just, I was just beaming inside because she did that for me. It was a little present. <laughs> A present that only I would understand. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and any writer's room I worked in. Uh, it's a funny joke. So listen, um, there's uh, Tommy. Let's let's cue up those fan questions because they're good. 
and they're fun. Okay, cool. And uh, I just I just read them this morning, and, and you know I think they they'll, they'll you'll uh, you'll enjoy them. Hey Brad, how does it make you feel that there's a whole new generation of people watching Stargate? There's little kids that come up to me and go, "I watch your show." There's like parents of you know kids at my daughter's school who are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're watching your show," and like like for the first time, there's a whole new generation. You know, I love it on, on one hand. And on the other hand, there are aspects of the show that I'm no longer proud of. Uh, the, you know, the episode Emancipation is not a good episode of television. I didn't produce it, but it's just, it's a, not a good show. And, and, and uh, we put you through something you shouldn't have had to go through in that bloody outfit. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I did uh, hate that outfit, but I loved the fight sequence. That was fun. It was fun, but the line, but the the number one thing is, I I went to the trouble of uh, of of recutting and and remaking essentially uh, Children of the Gods almost entirely to 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 well the the first goal was to get rid of uh, of the line uh, just because my reproductive organs are on the inside instead of the outside doesn't mean I can't handle what you can handle that one you remember. <laughs> I continue to mock it through the series. I mean, it's not like we didn't, yeah. we didn't, uh, but oh my God, uh, there are things in, in, in that. And, and I met a guy uh, golfing and, and we, we've been playing a lot lately. And, uh, <clears throat> and he said, oh, I started watching your show. And I went, oh, Travelers? And he went, no, Stargate SG-1. And I went, oh, keep in mind that we made that in 1996. Seven. Because I mean, it aired in '97, but well, we it aired in '97, but we started shooting it, and I wrote it in '96. Huh. It was the pilot was written in '96, so I, I think back that far. We started shooting in February of '97. Yeah, true, but I but February twelfth, nineteen ninety seven is when I moved to Vancouver. Yes, yes. I, I, you know, I, I have a very strong memory of sneaking up. The, the circular staircase of the uh, of the uh, briefing room yeah. uh, watching you and Chris and Michael standing out looking at the Stargate going holy shit because yeah. it was a pretty impressive set especially Very. first view and especially from up there it was quite quite a compelling Very shot. impressive yeah and 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 standing over you uh, standing kind of feeling like I stepped in on a moment that was perhaps private but it it uh, you went you went oh my god this is huge. This is incredible. And I said, yep. And we're tearing it all down and moving it over to the new stage in three weeks. Yeah, that's right. Cause we were at the special effects stage. Yeah. We had to shoot, we, we had to shoot, uh, build it and shoot the pilot and the effects stage, tear everything down and then move it into the other stage that wasn't finished yet. It hadn't been finished yet. Do you know that that's how Michael Christopher and I ended at the the last thing that we did at the end of the tenth season, the end of the last shot? Rob Cooper cut, boom! Everyone crying, hugging, and the three of us snuck up those spiral stairs and stood there and went, "Well, that that happened." Yeah, crying. Yeah, and that was the end. That was I was I'd it? gone home. That was three o'clock in the morning. You guys are crazy. <laughs> I also knew I was going to see you again at Continuum. It wasn't really for me. Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Brad. I'm Gemma. I was wondering if you can remember any instances when working together that either of you thought, wow, that person's got talent. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Every day 
my god yeah every day pretty much every day it's it's uh i was talking about this with ben actually it's it's quite often you're uh you're doing a scene and and an actor will will do their their, their shot and and everyone will be blown away including the crew and you see that everybody's riveted and there's always this long beat before cut and that happens more often than you think doesn't it amanda it does yeah definitely and sometimes because of the live element of it, it it's more palpable uh because it's so immediate and you're right there and sometimes it can be even more it can blow you away even more in person on the day than it does in the movie just because of whatever the camera angle is but i can think of one that was a uh just absolutely hilarious too so i'll tell that story and then amanda you can come up with one but um kate hewlett was in uh atlantis and she uh it was an episode i wrote called the shrine and uh, her actual brother, David Hewlett, was playing her her brother uh, in the show. And during rehearsal, she she cried so powerfully and so like because because she saw him acting opposite her, and because they were really brother and sister, it took it took it took her to a completely other level, and it it just floored her. It just floored her, and and uh, and the, half the audience, half the crew was was in tears because she was in tears uh, th th and that, that that's 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 an example there's moments watching uh michael when michael when when daniel got emotional over things watching him was just really beautiful when he got you know super intensely emotional about things um yeah because we didn't do it that often no so when you do it's a lot of work to prep for those kind of moments it's a lot uh, and you have to sort of appreciate the vulnerability and yeah. So there's definitely moments with Michael where I went, whoa, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it probably happened to us a lot on, uh, on travelers too, because scenes between, um, Patrick and Mackenzie. Oh my were... God. So good. And just Patrick, Patrick <laughs> doing phone calls, leaving messages yeah. for people on travelers. Yeah. Oh my God. Just well, it's like, this, it's and started, I've had people talk to me about that, about the, some of their favorite moments on Travelers are when David's leaving Marcy a message. <laughs> <laughs> that started as a, as a, in an episode I wrote in season one that was trying to be a little uh, cheaper because, uh, you know, we didn't have a whole ton of money. I was trying to do a semi bottle show, which naturally included a helicopter. But, um, <laughs> But I started typing this this message, and it got funnier and funnier and funnier to me, and it just kept going. So, about a year ago, when the pandemic started, uh, completely different subject. Uh, I asked uh, uh, so one of the fans said, "I think we could use a David phone message about now." And literally, I wrote a, a PSA from David. <laughs> Uh, on a phone message to Marcy about social distancing and 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 uh, and uh, staying indoors and stay at home and 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 uh, would you do? I know you're out there doing your thing, saving the world, and and uh, but uh, while you're out there, would you do me a favor? Uh, I was I, I was uh, at the shelter and uh, we were cooking some buns and uh, I left the oven on. So if you wouldn't mind going and, and so then that was. <laughs> 
that was the, I mean, I almost did the whole monologue just now, but, but it ended up being this kind of fun extra thing. And I, and I emailed Patrick and I said, would you record this? And he said, absolutely. I'll record this. And he took it so bloody seriously. He learned it really well and he lit it well and he did it all in his apartment because what the hell else are we going to do? Right. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually pretty funny. You did a good job. That's awesome. Yeah. Not, not at all related to the fan question, but, but still <laughs> not funny. at all. No. <laughs> what, give the us another question. one, Tommy. Hi, Amanda. This is Jamie. I enjoyed your first conversation on the companion and I'm looking forward to this one as well. Thank you for doing this for your fans. You've always been such a champion of women. I wonder if you've ever thought of portraying a great woman in history. And if so, who would you portray? I always thought you'd make a great Amelia Earhart. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Jamie. Um, yeah, Amelia Earhart would be fun. Uh, I have always wanted to be, uh, to play Eleanor of Aquitaine uh, in a particular play called The Lion in Winter. Because um, I did that when I was much younger. And that brings me to you, Brad. That uh, was my first sort of real play outside of school. And uh, I just loved that character, Eleanor of Aquitaine, which, and not that I'm using this as a segue, but I will, Jamie, because I did it at a place called the Village Playhouse in Toronto that you also used to perform at, Brad. I did indeed. I did the miser there and I did uh, the shadow box there. And I, I did in another theater, I did the Lion in Winter and played John. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did John. And, and, you know, we're gradually aging toward uh, uh, Henry and Eleanor. I know. Yeah, yeah. We'll just give we me could, lists or something. We could play Henry and Eleanor. Totally, we could. <laughs> we could. I, listen, I love that stuff. I, that's a great play, too. It's a great play. It's beautifully written. Yeah. But oh. I could see doing that. I think any sort of royalty would be kind of fun to play. You could be in The Crown. I could be in the crown. Who would I be? Uh, somebody. So I could be crown, somebody in the crown. One of the crown people. <laughs> Depending on how many seasons seasons it goes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I love all that stuff. I love, I love that. And it's funny. It's funny that we both played in the Village Playhouse, probably five years apart. Uh, yeah. Or six years apart, because I'm older. I just turned 60. Oh, my gosh. Get a wee Bobby. I, I know. Well, well. <laughs> um, but I think it's really funny that our world, that our world, like, yeah, you know, that's how tiny the world is, and that you know, years apart, but still, we we were at the same place as as, as one of our yeah, we were points. at the same, being in the same theater, and that's that's not a great theater either. It's got a giant post in the corner, and you have to, yeah, you basically have an audience over here and you have an audience 90 degrees over here and you have to figure out a way to block toward yeah. both of them. Yeah. But uh, no, I did. I think I did a few plays in there. It was just fun. And, and uh, we did the, the line in winter, the woman who played Eleanor in the line in winter was quite elderly and I adored her and she was so good. And the man who played Henry had a bit of a, a bit of an ego and she tamed him so brilliantly. <laughs> right on she was so good i i adored her what was her name wasn't joan was it i don't remember i just remember loving her and 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 willing to walk over broken glass for her she just uh 
you know, she was just lovely, lovely yeah, woman. Cool. And John wasn't in Act Three, so you know, <clears throat> I was just hanging around. John got killed early, I think. I can't even remember. Oh, the days. Those were the days. No. I wasn't very yeah, good, yeah. by the way. No? <laughs> good thing you're I a good writer. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think I was very good, but I loved it. I mean, I, I always wanted to do both. You you have that nice ability in a, in, in a sweet spot in your career where you can still do both comfortably because you have achieved both at a high level. Whereas, uh, you know, I never, I never achieved anything in the acting world beyond, you know, the, the, the local theater scene. And of course, once I started writing for TV, I put myself in a couple of things and realized that was not a very good, smart thing to do either. Although I was Scotty in 200. Well, you were, and that was super funny. Everyone yeah. was on set to watch you do that. <laughs> yeah, at 7 a.m. Uh, uh, and I, I didn't even know I was doing it until the night before. And we won't go into <laughs> that's why. Right. We won't go into why. Yes, that is correct. I remember. Yes, yes. Ah, what a fun. What a, yeah, even Rob Cooper and, 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 and his uh, brilliant self went. <laughs> so, you know, I was moved. <laughs> that's that's, that's good. high price from Rob. Yeah. Next. <laughs> <laughs> there was no next. We did it. <laughs> Almost changed the line too, just because I knew I could. But um, and not piss off the writer. Let's move on to let's move on to the next question, Tommy. Hi, Amanda. I'm Saskia from Finland. I love musicals and I love the musical episode on Sanctuary. So I was wondering if you could choose one episode of Stargate and turn it into a musical episode, which episode would you choose and why? Also, I would like to know what are your top three favorite musicals? Oh, wow. That's an intense question. Okay. Uh, Stargate episode to turn into a musical. Brad, I need your help here. Um, <laughs> Huh. Stuck in an ice cave. I, I was know. just thinking solitudes. Well, uh, it just lends itself. Or emancipation, so... for that matter, because oh, you know, we dear. could have well, that so one was much almost fun a making that a musical. It really should have been. <laughs> uh, oh wow! You know what? We were. It was just never going to happen. It was just not. No. It's just not something that no. I would. But do. if you I could, mean, I, if. If you could turn one into now, like for fun, if you could take an episode of Stargate and turn it into a musical. Well, we considered doing a musical number for 200. That's right. And we, we thought about it. And uh, I mean, it's not like we didn't mock ourselves left and right. Uh, we did The Wizard of Oz. We did Puppets, for God's sakes. Uh, so it's not like we weren't willing to. 200 to would have been a fun musical. That's, that's where it should have been. Yeah. We <coughs> yeah. could have snuck it in there. We ended up with so many ideas. And once we committed to the puppets, which we had to write way in advance for a long time, that was the only scene in, in that episode because we had to build them and they were not cheap. And we used the same puppets from Team America. But anyway, this was a question for you. Right. I would say the 200th episode. And I, actually, I think Emancipation would be a really funny musical. My favorite three, my top three favorite musicals, uh, Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, and the very first musical I ever saw, which was a chorus line, just because it was the first musical I ever saw. It's and, fun too. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's actors standing there with their resumes and, you know, trying to become a <laughs> chorus line. But it was the first show I saw and it was in London's West End and I was a kid. And my uncle 
was sitting beside me. And when the song Tits and Ass came on, he covered my ears. <laughs> That's funny. And I was like, and now I'm, you know, that, that became the song I was obsessed with because I didn't hear it. And, uh, and, but anyway, yeah. Ever since they've referred to uh, orchestra and balcony only. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Because that's all you heard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that just has a special place for me. That's that musical because it was the first time I'd seen that spectacle. I also have to. Uh, I loved Wicked. I loved it, and I was able oh, to yeah. see it in New York, and I was able to see Hamilton in New York, and uh, and Dear Evan Hansen in New York. No, in Toronto. Uh, Did you see yeah. Book of Mormon in New York? I saw Book of Mormon in New York. I've not seen Book of Mormon. It is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Okay. It is. You have to see it. I'm sure it'll play for the rest of your life. So I know the musical because lives into musicals. So we, I've listened to it. Oh well, then you know. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah, it is hilarious. Orlando. <laughs> My wife's going to be wondering why I just sang the word Orlando in the next room. <laughs> That's funny. Let's move on to the next question. My neighbors are wondering why I'm creeping outside their house in my car. Oh, hi, neighbors. Hi, neighbors. Uh. <laughs> Hi, Brad. Hi, Amanda. My name's Evelyn Faishney, and I'm a screenwriter from Melbourne. I'm talking like this because no one understands what I'm saying. Uh, Amanda, we've seen you as an actress, a director, an executive producer, and now as a producing director. And I was wondering if you ever see yourself as a showrunner on your own series in the future. And I'd love to know what Brad thinks about that, too. Okay. I do see myself as a showrunner uh, on my own series, a series that I've sort of been developing with a friend for years now so maybe uh the time is becoming more ripe and more uh it's more of an option for me now to try to make that happen and i'm all for it <laughs> <laughs> no Thanks, I mean, what, will you, what you have to me? realize when you have yeah what you have to realize is that when you're working with a team as effectively as amanda and i did say on travelers you're already you're already showrunning you're making decisions on the day uh, without having to run them by me you're 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 saying right. you know we're just looking at each other and say a props meeting and nodding without even having to you know i mean that to me yeah. is that to me is how to do it correctly uh to 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 make people feel comfortable in their own ability to make decisions knowing that they'll be supported and i don't think you and i had a single argument over a single anything never because you, because you are a showrunner already, and 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 it's like entrusting somebody with a, with an episode uh, in in a partnership, which is what all television is. Yeah, right. True. Yep. And as as producing director of Motherland, you were practically showrunning, for all intents and purposes, on the day. Yeah, in some ways, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you weren't coming up with what and the next story was. Making decisions on the day. No. Yeah. But showrunner is, is a is a multifaceted uh, job, and so you were in editing. You weren't just handed the keys, uh, handing over the keys to your after your cut. You were you were responsible all the way. Yeah, and it's been amazing. Like today, I have an eleven o'clock biz effects meeting for Motherland for an episode. So I'm still working on Motherland to this day. Of course, well, it takes time because uh, Post stuff. goes on forever. Yeah. But I love it. I actually really, really love Post. I love it too. And and we sat a couple of times in the editing room uh, together watching cuts. You did a great thing, Brad, where you invited us in like one at a time, but you invited actors in to look at editing. And I think it's really, it, it was really uh, generous, first of all, because a lot of people wouldn't let actors in to the edit suite. <clears throat> but you did it so we could see 
how important it was to be working the entire time that you're in a scene, yeah. even if you're not, yeah. you know, which I always thought like a bigger part of my job is listening and reacting rather than just saying words. Um, but you, yeah, you were, you you were always really great at that. Yeah, you're always really great at that. And and uh, Ben and I were talking about that too, that that quite often uh, in a scene, the reactions can be more important than the spoke than whoever's speaking. And totally. like the example I example I used for that was in Continuum, where Bo basically gave a master class uh, around the table in the hangar. Yeah. Speaking almost the entire day. Yeah. Well, the, he did speak the entire day, but but it was really all about your reactions, and that yeah. was important. We've left the topic of the question. Let's move on again, Tommy. <laughs> again. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. My name is Wendy. I'm just wondering if you've had any difficulties directing around COVID restrictions this past year. Thank you. It's a great question. COVID has changed the way we do things in uh, some ways, and the learning curve was huge. So I was producing director on Motherland. Uh, so I had to make sure that everyone was sort of following all the COVID protocols. It's just a new layer that you, uh, it's a time <laughs> that you add. Uh, it's being hyper aware of how close you get to people. It's the masks and the face shield. And that makes it really hard to communicate, especially as a director for me, part of what I love working with actors is that you get to be so intimate with them. You know, you get up close and you whisper things and, and it's so much harder with a mask and a face shield and you can't get too close to the actor that that layer of intimacy is gone. And uh, I miss that. Um, and sometimes what I'll do is sort of walk the actor off set and away so that at least we can have a private conversation. But yeah, it's just, it's a whole extra level of care that you have to put in before you step on set. But I haven't found it overwhelmingly difficult. It's just a learning curve. Well, I mean, it, it has cost you, and we've been talking, it has, it has cost you time. And time is the, is the premium on, on a television set. So that has to that has to add a level of stress because you're you're giving time to something that doesn't show up on the screen and that's frustrating. Yeah, you're giving a lot of time. I mean, just the extra time to get the actors out of their masks every time and touch up their makeup and yeah, you're you're adding a lot of time. Um, but then you just work with it. You just get used to it. it just becomes what you do. You, you, when COVID's over and and that'll be soon, I think. I mean, there uh, it's. I mean, thank, thanks to Hopefully. vaccines, we're going to be in a situation where uh, those protocols will eventually go away, if not soon. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Georgia. That'll be interesting. No, but, we're still uh, under protocols there. Yeah. Yeah, but if everybody's vaccinated and and the numbers are low, uh, it's it should go back to virtually normal. Hopefully. Yeah. And and they won't give us that time back. I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> if we will have proven we can do it shorter. So. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, is there uh, anything else uh, you uh, wanted to touch on before I start wrapping it up? Just that. Well, you never know where the world's going to take you and you never know how impacted your life is going to be by a single moment. And I think about that a lot when I think about my audition for Stargate. And I think about walking up the street, walking up Young Street in Toronto, leaving that audition and feeling good about the audition because I really loved the character. But also it was the first time that I had ever let an audition go because I was like, well, they're going to cast an American. So that was a nice exercise. And I walked up Young Street feeling pretty damn good because I thought I'd done well, but doo -doo -doo -doo, don't have to worry about this one. I can let it go. I don't have to worry about the phone call. I'm not going to wait for it. It's not going to happen. And 
and then getting the phone call saying that I had been shortlisted and had to send in my demo and then being shortlisted even further and going to LA and everything was on that one moment. And then the other moment that had a huge impact on my life was you, Brad, talking to me in between those two auditions and saying, and you said something to me, which I loved, which was, I really want you to get this part. I really like your work. I'm a big fan and I want you to get this part. So here's what I'm going to say you should do. Changed my world. And who would have thought that single moment? You know what I mean? So you just never know. You it never did. know. But that single moment. You never know. That's true. And then I got Stargate and then Stargate became, you know, what it became. And I gave me the first opportunity to direct and Stargate allowed me the opportunity to make Sanctuary, which then propelled me further into that direction. And, you know, it just, you never know, but single tiny moments. And I knew in that moment that you talked to me in LA, in that little courtyard outside MGM, um, that this was significant, that what you were saying to me was significant. I just didn't realize how huge an impact it would have. It's, it's funny because I, I don't, it's not something that you usually do, you know? No. It's like, it's not something that I, I have done a hundred times, but I, but I vividly remember that moment. And I, and it, and it's very much because I wanted you to be Sam Carter and, uh, and, uh, and you were for the next 17 years. (laughs) <laughs> I still am. Um, you still are. I did it. I did it with an actor who was auditioning for uh, a series regular on Sanctuary. I did the exact same thing. I paid it forward. That's great. And I said to that actor, I, I'm a big fan of your work and I will never forget. And I use you. I said, I will never forget when Brad Wright did this to me and I got the part on Stargate. And I'm going to say this to you. I really want you to get this part. I, I've, I've helped. I guess I've prepped people for... Uh, uh, for parts uh for example with patrick gilmore i said uh, uh he was in his car before his audition and uh for david and i and i knocked on the glass and he, i hadn't seen him in years and he rolled down and he said hey brad and i went hey patrick i wrote this for you don't fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> i knew he wouldn't fuck it up he was brilliant and uh, i knew exactly what he would do and uh yeah but that, I think I think that's the only other time I think I spoke to somebody in that situation because uh, because I wanted it to happen and it did, and I wanted this to happen too. I'm really really thank you so much for doing this podcast and it was so fun to chat with you and and it it, it was weirder than other ones because because you and I do talk more frequently and uh, yeah we do and we we just rarely record it and uh, <laughs> kidding about the rarely <laughs> by the way probably good <laughs> yeah it's probably best. Uh, and uh, and uh, in fact, when when this is over, I, I want to talk to you about uh, about uh, things coming up for you and and uh, yeah and what's happening. So, but uh, for now, I just want to say thanks for being on uh, on this podcast and uh, and I love talking to you always. I love talking to you, Brad. I love you. Thanks and for having me. Of course. <laughs> well, now you know why she's one of my favorite people. I really hope you enjoyed this interview. You can find my essays and hundreds more stories like these on The Companion at www.thecompanion.app. See you later. Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. 
Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic Gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate Masterclass. It's a Stargate Chief Master Sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked.